Well, Ebenezer, I hope you're ready. Let me reintroduce myself again as my family's coming to join me on the stage. My name is Jamie Smith, and I am honored and privileged to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, we are the Smith family. Uh, this is my daughter, Emily. Uh, some of you have not had the chance to meet her yet, but she's here with us this morning. Caroline, uh, my wife, Laura, of course, and this is my son, Micah. My wife has been in education for 24 years, 17 of those 24 years, she was a media specialist or a library, as some people want to use that phrase, and just recently transitioned a little over a year ago as the director of instructional technology at Mountain Education uh, Charter High School uh, Central Office in Cleveland. And so some of you probably have seen her name in some emails. Uh, my daughter, Emily is a music ed major at Anderson University. She's in her freshman year. Uh, Caroline is a sophomore at Tallulah Falls School, and my son also is at Tallulah Falls in the sixth grade. So we just phased out of elementary school, and uh, we are, I can tell you, if you can't tell yet, you will know that I am very proud of my family. And uh, so would y'all let them know how much we appreciate them as they go back to their seats. So if you haven't had the chance to hear some of my story, I thought I'd take a few moments just to kind of give a recap, because I want you to know what you're getting into, all right? So uh, my, I grew up in Cumming, Georgia, very north Forsyth, almost in Dawsonville. If you've ever been to the Dawsonville outlet, uh, I lived about five minutes from there on Jotham Down Road. How many of you have ever heard of Jotham Down Road? I made the joke the other day that I don't know how they named that road. I think just a bunch of good old boys got in around this table and said, hey, what are we going to name this? We'll just jot them down. What? Jot them down? Okay, that's what we'll name it. I don't know. I really have no clue why they named it what they did. Uh, but uh, I, I went to church as a kid in a small country church. Um, went forward when I was seven, baptized, but I was lost as a blind coon in the wood. Went into my teenage years, and from the time I was 12... Up until I turned 20, I worked every weekend, and I stopped going to church. I did not have a relationship with Jesus, but, but around the time, right after I turned 20, I met some people. I met some people who were going to a Bible study, some teenagers and some college students, and they took it upon themselves to invite me, and I went, and it changed my life. I really believe in that small group, I met the grace of God, and through that, on April 11th, 1995, at a revival service at the church I attended, I went forward and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I told him he was the Son of God who died on the cross to forgive my sins and was raised again to give me life, and I asked him to save me, and he did. I'm 47 years old. The first 20 years of my life, I was lost. In the last 27, I've been saved, and my life has never been the same since. And so after that, I had, uh, I'm going to give you two timelines, and they kind of run like this. One is my school timeline, and one is my ministry timeline, because as you will learn about me, I love school. I know there's students in here. How many students in here love school? That's what I thought. <laughs> Joe loves school. Look at that. So I'm telling you, there are some of us who do love school. I have spent the majority of my adult life in a classroom. Because I love it. I, I love to be challenged. I love to learn new things. My son and I watched videos a few weeks ago about ants. Because we just, we love to learn. And so in 1997, 
I was called right after I had met Laura and we started dating. I was called uh, to my first ministry position as the middle school youth pastor. And for two years at the Bridge Church in Cleveland, that's what I did. And before I left in 2006, I was the associate pastor with an emphasis in the student ministry. In 2003, though, my other timeline, uh, I was acquainted uh, with Dallas Theological Seminary at a conference. In fact, a little while ago, I kind, of, I kind of drew a blank and couldn't remember who the speaker was. It was Dr. Howard Hendricks was speaking at a conference, and I couldn't write fast enough as I sat and listened, and it was over. I went up to some people associated with him. I said, I want to know more about this because I'm like, you can go to school and learn the Bible? Sign me up right now. And so I started my journey with Dallas Seminary that lasted from that, from that point to 2008, where I graduated with a master's of biblical studies, um, but at the same time um, transitioned in my ministry. My, uh, my family and I left uh, the bridge in 2006 and started attending Helen First Baptist Church with Jim Holmes. And uh, I, we attended for a while. We had Caroline, and I was invited to join their staff. And I came on as the outreach uh, pastor, but left the student pastor uh, when I left in 2014. And in that time, uh, I oversaw the children's ministry. I got to work over the preschool. Uh, and that's what encompasses Next Gen. I have been in Next Gen ministry probably for over 20 years. And when I say Next Gen, I mean student ministry, children's ministry, and preschool ministry. And so when I left in 2014, I went and uh, pastored a church in East Hall called, uh, at the time, Pine Grove Baptist Church. It's now, uh, Eben, uh, excuse me, this is Ebenezer, Emmanuel, too many E's, e, uh, Emmanuel Community Church, uh, and I pastored there for three years. Back to my other timeline, I also started studies at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary with my doctorate degree. Um, I started there, and my focus is actually in revitalization. All of the seminars I took was in church revitalization, but my project uh, that I presented for my doctorate was training parents how to disciple children in the home. If you don't know it, you will know I love the family. I believe in the family, and I believe we need to empower the family. What we saw this morning, was that not beautiful? That a dad baptized his daughter, and that gives him the foundation upon which to disciple that young lady. And it excites me because now we're at this point. I've been at Concord for the last five and a half years uh, because I met this guy um, many, many years ago. Uh, there was a, a man who came to pastor a church in our community where my wife worked. And there was a young man, and my daughter went to school from first grade through fifth grade. And that's when I met a man named Levi Skipper. You with me? Say yes. yes. <laughs> and I've been there since 2017. And I've loved every minute of it. Um, I, have, I was the children's pastor for five years, and within the last year was uh, made the next-gen pastor where I oversaw each of the three departments, the preschool, the children, and the students. Um, on any given Sunday, we had anywhere between 20, uh, 100 volunteers working in those areas to partner with moms and dads, grandparents, foster parents, single moms to disciple their children. And that is my heartbeat. And that brings us to today. How did I get here? Well, back in the summer, I prayed a prayer. 
Some of you prayed that prayer last Saturday when you said, God, if you'll let Georgia beat Tennessee, I'll give some money tomorrow morning. So if you didn't give money, there's baskets still out in the lobby because God wants you to fulfill that vow, you know? I don't want to lead you wrong. But no, I, I was, uh, we were in Destin and I was going down a couple, two or three days catching sand fleas and pompano. And I felt the Lord convict to me that I had taken my ministry and I was holding it and clutching it with my hands closed. You see, guys, you can do ministry without God, but you won't have God results. And, and I had it like this. I, had, I wanted to protect my family. I wanted to protect my things. I wanted to protect my path. But that day, as God was leading me, I just said, you know what? Here it is. I'm going to open my hands, Lord. I don't know what it means. You've had me go through all of these different experiences and brought me to this point for a reason. In fact, it, it reminded me of a quote from Corey Ten Boom, who said this, I have held many things in my hand, and I have lost them all. But whatever God placed in my hand, that I still possess. And when I leave this world, there's only two things that I'll possess. Jesus Christ and the call that he put in my life. Everything else... I won't have. And so I did that. I opened my hands. And so, you know, like you, like probably like you, I pray those prayers and go on with life. And a few weeks later, I'm sitting in my office and my phone rings. And um, if you have an iPhone, you know, it, it, it will either say unidentified number or in bold letters, you get a name. And I look down at my phone and scrolling across is the name Earl Rochester. And Mr. Earl had called me, and we began a conversation. And as we talked, he asked, but would I be interested? And I said, well, let me talk to my wife. And so I talked to my wife, and, and as husbands, we should. We were, we were on the same page, and we were excited. And so I, I sent my email to your search team, and that started more conversations and interviews. And here we are today. This is where it has led. It's your search team has done an incredible work. In fact, I'd like to just take a few moments to thank Earl and that search team. You guys um, led me through a process and made it so easy to get to know you guys. And Brother Fred, man, I know I've made a friend for life. But this man has encouraged me. I, I don't know if, you know he's an encourager. You've experienced it. But I don't know that I've ever met anyone as encouraging as Brother Fred. And I want to thank you for that. To Caleb and the staff, the admin team, the deacons, life group, and all the people that got to listen to me give my spill this week. Thank you. Because what you confirmed in me is that, you know, there's the church inclusive. We've been in different houses, but hopefully we're going to be in the same house now. With the same heart and the same mind and the same mission. And so my question to you is just like the video showed a little while ago. Are you ready? Are you ready for what God is ready to do? Are you ready for how God is going to work? Are you ready for where God may lead us? Are you ready for who God may put in your path and bring along? Are you ready to get ready for what God's going to do? Are you ready for hope to come alive? And that's my question for you this morning. Are we ready? So if you have your Bible or a device, if you don't, we'll have it on the screen. I'd like to invite you to turn to the 43rd chapter of Isaiah. 
And I'd like to share a couple of points for you and me for why you can have hope today if you haven't had hope. Why you can have hope today that God's about to do something incredible in Tacoa, Georgia. It's in spite of me. It's in spite of you. It's, in, it's because God is who God says he is. So if you'll take your Bible, if you would, I'd love for you to stand with me to honor God's Word, to honor Scripture as we read this passage together. I'm reading out of the New American Standard 95 edition, starting in verse number 19. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will glorify me. The jackals and the ostriches, because I have given water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I have formed for myself will declare my praise. Let's pray together. Father, as we dig into your word for a few moments this morning, my prayer in my heart is to present to you hope. God, we want to hope in you and hope in what you're going to do. Now, God, I pray that what we do today changes us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I want you to notice something. If you back up to verse number 14, God reveals exactly what he's saying. He says, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah is writing this book 200 years before what is going to take place is being predicted. He's writing this somewhere in the 700 B.C. range. And he's telling the, the Jews, those in Jerusalem and, Ju and in Judah, you're going to go away into captivity. Now, why would they do that? When you rewind the tape and go back to the book of Deuteronomy, God made a covenant with Israel. And on the day he made that covenant, he split the people into two camps. And he says, if you keep my covenant, I will bless you. But if you don't keep my covenant, you will receive curses. And the image of the desert is an image of cursing. To be banished, to be sent away from your home when God had said, I'm going to take you to a land. I'm going to give you a land to occupy. But unfortunately, the Israelites did not keep that covenant. They did not keep the promise they made to God. And so he says, for your sake, I'm going to send you to Babylon. Guys, God is in the purifying and sanctifying business. And he wants to sanctify you and me for the work that he has for us to do. And sometimes that's, that's hard. But just because something hard doesn't mean it's wrong. And so he sends them away. And the rest of that, getting up to verse 19, he begins to remind them of some place they had been before in Egypt where the people were enslaved and they were in bondage. And God says, look, just like I parted the Red Sea and brought you through on dry land, I'm about to do something in the dry land to bring forth water. You see, they were in that desert and they were in desperate hopelessness. They were wondering when God, how God, why God, why us, why this, why now? Sometimes the way you ask those questions. We all find ourselves in hopeless situations. We go to the doctor and we get news that we don't want to hear. Or maybe we lose a loved one. Or maybe our job, or maybe we look on the, on the TV and we go, what are they thinking in politics? And it, and it leads us to a place of hopelessness. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I serve a God that gives me hope because he makes a way in the impossible. Do you have an impossible thing this morning? For just a moment, I want you to think about what it is in your life that is a barrier that's, that's blocking you from feel, making you feel like you need to be where you are. And can I tell you that God wants to work a miracle in that impossible situation. When you go back to Egypt and they're standing there at the Red Sea, the Egyptian horde is behind them. And Moses raises his staff and he says, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. They had no clue what God was going to do. And he split those waters open and they walked across on dry ground. Or when they got right out of the precipice of going into the promised land and there was Jericho and God says, you know what I want you to do? This is a little crazy, but I want you to walk for seven days and each day, one day, go around the city on the seventh day, do it seven times and blow the trumpets. And what happened? The walls fell down. They knew these things. They knew that they served a God of impossibilities. But God works miracles even when we don't think he can. Guys, that's the, that is the foundation of what hope is all about. That God is going to do something new even in the midst of an impossibility. Look at the text again in verse number 19. He said, I'm going to do something new and it will spring forth. Some of you have gardens. Some of you have planted plants. But there's nothing more beautiful than going out there in a freshly plowed field and you scatter that seed and you cover it up. And you go back the next day and you look and you, you don't see anything happening. And you go back the next day and you still, you're looking. But all of a sudden you begin to see the dirt rise up. Begins to make a little bit of a mound. As that seed begins to erupt, you can't see it yet, but it's right there under the surface. And all of a sudden one day you look out there and you see the greenness of the leaves as they begin to break forth. And the dirt begins to fall around that leaf and expose that plant it has sprung forth. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what God was promising to Israel, and I believe that's what God is bringing to Ebenezer. There is something new that's going to spring forth that we can't even fathom or imagine that demands creation to glorify God. And then in us, those chosen people of God, the body of Christ rising up to make the name of God great. That's the God that we serve. Are you ready to work and to hope where there is impossibility. Are you ready to see what God's got in store for Tekoa that we haven't even fathomed yet what God is going to do? Do you hope that your God is a God of impossibilities? So I want you now to turn over to Titus. Because when I talk about hope, I'm not talking about emotions. I'm not talking about feeling something to me, hope is a choice. Hope has an object. When I leave today, I hope that my key will go in the ignition and start my car. Two weeks ago, I put my key in and it started clicking because my battery was dead. And my hope was dashed on the rocks. But ladies and gentlemen, there is an object of hope. There's an object of hope that we can hope in that's not of this world. We put our hope in a lot of different things. We put our hope in our bank accounts, in our jobs, in our family. We put our hope in our popularity, our prestige, and our power. But I'm here to tell you today that there is an object of hope that has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. Read with me in chapter 2 of the book of Titus, starting 
in verse number 11. For the grace of God has appeared. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And when Paul's writing to Titus, he's talking about church order. When you go back to chapter one, he's kind of laying out elder leadership. He gets to chapter two and he begins to talk about older men and older women leading in the church. Why? So that you could be sure of the doctrine that you hold true to. Because solid doctrine leads to solid living. If my doctrine is wrong, my living will be wrong. When truth is distorted, my path is distorted. But then he encapsulates this and he builds it to this crescendo where he said, but God's grace, God's grace has appeared now. In the midst of all of this, all of this book almost hinges at this point that whatever happens inside of this body hinges upon the grace of God appearing through our Lord Jesus Christ who loved you and me even though we did not deserve it. We have to hope that God is doing something and that he will do something. And the object of that hope, when it says out here on your street sign, a place of hope, the object is Jesus Christ. Now I know, I look out across this room and I'm looking at your faces, I'm looking at your eyes, and I don't know what kind of life you've lived. I don't know what you're going through right now. I know all of us in this room are looking for the next thing to get us past this week, to get us past this month, to get us past this year. But the one thing we can be sure of is Jesus Christ. I loved what Fred preached last week. I wish that every person who was being called to a church would have that preached before they stepped into a room. Because you're going to find I'm not a perfect person. By far am I not a perfect person. I've already murdered the king's English three times standing in this pulpit today. I am who you see, but I'm not your savior. I'm not Fred. I'm not Andy. I'm not Levi. You know who I am? I belong to Jesus. Look again what he said. Who gave himself to redeem us. He bought us back. And to purify us. Why? Because God's got a work for you to do that we can't do unless he gets us ready. That's the kind of God that we serve. serve. Hope doesn't rest on me. It doesn't rest on this church. Our hope rests in whom? Jesus Christ. And if there's anything else that it rests upon, it is an idol. For which this day, today, we need to be reminded that we have hope. Because God is doing something. He has done something. He will do something. And I believe that that something is something you haven't even dreamed of yet. But the only one who can accomplish it is Jesus Christ. Through willing vessels who have submissive hearts and a humility of mind. We have a message. And we have a mission. There is a world out here that is lost. 
In our culture today, negative phrases like that aren't, aren't very accepted. Telling somebody that they're lost, that they're separated from God, that they're in sin, have been used to abuse people. But I'm telling you, in our church, in my life, I want to plead and, and show people the grace of God to pull them out of that lost lifestyle. They're wandering in a desert, and God is bringing water to spring forth something new. And my question to you, and the question to me is, are we ready? And if we're not ready, do we want to be ready? And if we don't want to be ready, then my friends, today I'm going to challenge you. Let's get our hearts ready. Let's do this. I told, uh, I told uh, Caleb a few weeks ago, let's get the water pistols. I'm ready to storm hell. Let's go. And I meant it. There are people out there who don't want the hope we have to offer. There are forces working against the hope we have to offer. But ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you, God's bigger than all those things. And if we can step back and watch the Lord lead us and we fall right in line, God will lead us to some incredible things. There are broken people all around us. I can guarantee you, before you drive a quarter of a mile from this campus, you will encounter or see somebody who is lost and broken and hurt, even if you need to grab the rearview mirror and pull it down and look at yourself. We need Jesus. We need somebody to come along and take us by the hand and spell it out for us. So I'd like to tell you a story. And you can, you can watch this. If you like, if you like movies, I do like movies. And I will probably tell movie stories, and I apologize in advance. In 1962, there was a movie that was released called The Miracle Worker. You're going, okay, that's a little bit, I uh, got a little age on it, that's all right. But the movie was focused upon a lady that you may have heard of before. Her name was Helen Keller. At 19 months old, Helen uh, contracted a disease that left her both blind and mute. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. As somebody who couldn't see, and somebody that couldn't speak, couldn't hear, basically living in a box. What a sad reality. I mean, all we have to do is rewind the tape to two years ago as we watched people weeping outside of convalescent home windows because they couldn't go in and see their loved ones. This woman lived inside her own tomb, basically. And so in the 1800s, her parents decided to get her a teacher, a mentor, by the name of Ann Sullivan. Miss Ann actually was blind herself a little bit, but had enough functioning sight where she could do things. And so she comes in, and in this scene of the movie, Ann is trying so hard to make a breakthrough with Helen. Helen couldn't understand them. She couldn't understand Helen. There was no communication. And so she takes her outside to a hand water pump. You didn't turn the faucets on back then, right? Hand water pump. And she, she brings uh, Helen over and she pumps water into her hand, grabs her hand and goes W-A-T-R-T-E-R. And then she takes her back and she pumps again rigorously, splashing the water so that maybe some way Helen can make the connection between this liquid she's feeling and W-A-T-E-R. And all of a sudden, it's a beautiful scene. A light bulb goes off. 
And Helen goes back and she, she, she touches the water again and she grabs Anne's hand and she does W-A-T-E-R. And in, 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 in almost frantic, she begins to run around the yard and she runs up to a tree and she pulls Miss, Miss Anne along and she touches the tree and then grabs Anne's hand and she goes T-R-E-E. And then she goes all around the place and her mom and dad come out because they're screaming. There's so much excitement. And she comes out and she, she, she embraces her mom and spells mother. And she embraces her dad and she spells father. And it's just, and this breakthrough has happened. The tomb, the chains have been released and now Helen can communicate back and forth. And in this beautiful final point of the scene, she, she touches Miss Anne's face and does this. Miss Anne picks up Helen's hand and she spells T-E-A-C-H-E-R, teacher. Ladies and gentlemen, there are people in our community that are desperate for somebody to bring them hope, grab them by the hand and spell J-E-S-U-S and do it until the breakthrough comes through. Ebenezer, are you ready for what the Lord wants to do here? We must give them hope by being present and being persistent. But I can tell you, it's not going to happen by one person or a few people. It's going to take all of us. I make a commitment to you that I will shepherd you with all of my heart. But I also make a commitment to you that we're going to do it together. So I want to challenge you this morning. I don't want to take for granted there might be somebody in here has never met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Everybody in here is a sinner. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Every one of us deserves death. That's, that's so unfair, isn't it? Because other people have done worse than I, right? Every one of us, every one of us, we are all sinners. But Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, left glory, came down, put on human flesh... And he died the death that you and I deserve. He died in our place. He paid the penalty for our sin. And when he was put in that grave, the importance of coming back to life, because if the wages of sin is death, he was raised again, beating death, and therefore beating sin. And he was able to take your sin and my sin away. Not covered up, not sprinkle Clorox on it, not take a little Ajax and scrub it. He takes it away and he frees us we sang it today we are free free forever we're free because sin and death no longer reign over me because i know if my life lays down if i lay my life down i know where i will be the next big event ladies and gentlemen that's coming in this world is not another election it's not another politician it's not even a world war jesus christ is soon coming And we don't know when it is. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. And he is calling us. He's beckoning us. If we know the freedom that we've experienced in Christ, there are people out there waiting for us to just come and spell it in their hands. So I want to ask you to stand with me right now. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. Brother Fred's going to come up and lead you in the rest of the service. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, don't leave this place without doing so. Drop your head in just a minute and say, Lord, I believe you're the Son of God who died on the cross to take my sin away and was raised again to give me life and ask him to save you. Put your faith and trust in him. I'm challenging you to do that today.
But for the rest of us in this room, I'm going to ask you a very hard question. In just a few minutes, you're going to be voting. Of which I'm deeply honored and humbled to even be a part of that. But what I'm going to ask you is, as I pray for you, would you ask the Lord to get your heart ready? To get you ready for whatever it is that God's going to do. I don't know what it is. But just like a kid on Christmas morning who can't wait to open that box. Guys, that's exactly what the newness of the Lord wants for us. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we humble ourselves before you today. We empty our hands of whatever we think we might have that we might control. And Lord, we give it to you. We submit our lives to you. We submit our hearts to you. And God, what I'm praying for this people today, number one, if somebody here today is lost, that they would stop right now and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Confess him as the Lord to ask you to save them, to forgive their sins. And Lord, I know that you will give them the gift of the Holy Spirit you promised. Lord, for the rest of us in this room, God, are we ready? God, I've challenged them to even right now take a moment in their heart to say, God, whatever you want to do, however you want to use me, God, we're yielding ourselves to you even now. That, God, that we can be the body of Christ in Tekoa, to Georgia, to the U.S., and to the rest of this world to bring you glory and honor. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.